Blog Talk Radio. Tune in each and every Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific and 9 p.m. Eastern to Unfiltered Real Talk Radio on the ULR Network with your host, Nisha Lene, as we discuss everything about relationships. Guests will include writers, coaches, relationship experts, organizations, and many more. Stay in the loop of who will be our featured guest, juicy conversations, and free giveaways by following our Facebook and Instagram at Unfiltered Real Talk Radio. Hello, hello, it's your host, Nisha Lene. Thank you for tuning in. Tonight we will be talking with author Phyllis T. Forrest. We'll be talking about her series, Behind Every Boss, There's a Bay, finding out a little bit more where she comes from, and three tips on striving artists. So just give you a little background about me. I'm Nisha Lene. I'm an author, publisher, and your host of this radio show. And just to give you a little quick Background on our author, Phyllis T. Morris began her passion for writing as a child. As she built her platform against the prevention of child sexual abuse, educating and bringing awareness about child sexual predators to the attentions of mothers. She wrote her true-to-life story in her self-published book, Through a Child's Eye, which was released in 2012, and Defiant. A Secrets of a Predator, which was released in 2015. A native of Detroit, Michigan, Phyllis raised two daughters and has three grandchildren. Once a hairstylist in Oak Park, she now resides in San Diego, California. Challenging herself beyond her platform, Phyllis has begun nurturing her imagination and creative flow as she ventures into urban tales that she experienced being a product of Detroit, Michigan. Just when you think you have the story figured out, her novels will spin, twist, and flip you into a different direction. Without further ado, let's make sure we can get our featured guest on the line. Phyllis, are you on the line with us? Yes, I am. How 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 are you? I'm finding you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thank you for taking the time out to be a guest on our show. So you originally are from Detroit. Yes, I was I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, <clears throat> and I just um, relocated to San Diego, California, like a year ago. Okay, and how have you been liking California? You know what, California is beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Just way too expensive, but it's beautiful out here. I love the weather. <laughs> very expensive in California. <laughs> Yeah, it's very expensive out here, but I do. Um, I have family out here. My daughter and my granddaughter is out here. Okay. Well, I'm glad you were able to make the transition to California. Um, I am a California native, but I've never visited San Diego. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know. Everybody's like, a lot of people be like, what? I just never. I've been to a lot of places in California. California's big, but I've never visited San Diego. How well, has San Diego is not the top of, top of the list place to go. It's like you just can't say you've never been to L.A. Yeah, yeah. see, I can definitely understand that part. Born and raised. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How has the climate been for you moving from Detroit to San Diego? Um. Well, See, it, it wasn't just straight to San Diego. I moved to Nashville at first with my very first daughter. Um, she got relocated because of her job. So I was there with her for like four years. And then I switched over to and, and came to actually San Diego like a year ago. Um, so the transition wasn't that crazy because, you know, that was the South and it was 
the weather was a lot better than when, how it is in Detroit as far as the season. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like smooth sailing coming out to San Diego because, it, you know, the weather got just a little bit better than what it did in um, in Nashville. Okay. And what fueled you to become a writer? Well, originally, um, when I was younger, um, I went through a, a, a whole situation that I considered to be my nightmare. I decided when I once I got out of it, I said that I would actually write that story. Well, I didn't write it at that time because I lacked a lot of maturity and life experience. So years down the line, it was something that I always had in my mind and in my heart to do. And once things started kind of calming down for me and my girls got older and they was off at college and it was just me and my dog, I decided to actually sit down and write through a child's eyes. And that's what started it. Okay, and tell us a little bit about Through a Child's Eyes. Um, Through a Child's Eyes is a book about a 19-year-old man who becomes infatuated with a 7-year-old girl, and he plots and schemes to befriend her mother to infiltrate her innocence. Oh, yikes. Which is, which is very believable. Things that happen today, so I'm pretty sure a lot of people have definitely been grateful for you bringing that to the forefront because it makes you kind of question when you're a single mother and you're, you know, putting yourself back on that dating scene, just really who this person is or who the, who they bring into your life. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, that's um, basically the reason why I decided to write it, and it is a true story. It is my true story, and and that's exactly what happened was someone who saw me purposely befriended my mom to become a part of my life. Wow. And it, and, it, and not only me, but um, I had two other siblings. I mean, I'm sorry, three siblings. I had two sisters and a brother. And not only that, he simultaneously molested maybe the total of maybe 12, 13 kids all, all at one time because it involved so like maybe three predator. or four families. Hmm? So a serial predator. Yes, basically. And so it was like three other families plus my family and maybe a total of maybe 12, 13 kids. So it was very, very important to me. Once I really wrapped my mind around the story and was able to really pin it and put it on um, paper in black and white, I was able to really tell that story as far as how um, he manipulated his way into my family and how step-by-step he was able to do exactly what he did, not only to my family, but three or four other families. Wow. That's definitely a a living testimony, and I definitely, definitely want to commend you on sharing that because there's so many women who have been through similar situations through molestation or being through something, and they don't share those type of things. So I thank you for the bravery to share that story for others because, like I said, it makes women, you know, every day we have single mothers reading books, it makes them kind of question the people they bring into their life. And that was basically the reason why I thought to also write the book also was because, well, one thing that happened was at the time I was living in Detroit, Michigan, and what really got me going was there was a story of a young girl who um, her um, a janitor, her and her her mom started dating the janitor at school. Well, come to find out, he dated the mom 
to get a hold of the little girl. She was pregnant by the time she was like 11 years old. What the heck? Mm-hmm. And that is what really made me say, you know what, I have to find some kind of way to put this on paper in a book that people will really understand that a lot of times when a man approaches you or you're in a certain situation, it may not be about you. It may be about your children. You would think that you just met this, bumped into this guy at the store, but you don't even know that all this time you have been being watched. Because that was the situation with my mom um, back in the day. You know, when you, when your older sister when your sister had somewhere to go, you sent one of the siblings with her. Like you didn't just yeah. go by yourself. You 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 know you took your sister had to go with you or your brother had to go with you. And my older sister at the time, I was seven and she was nine. She had to, she ran track, and on Saturdays she would have to go to track practice, and I was the one who was sent with her to walk with her. And while she would run, you know, do her, you know, practice and everything, I would sit on the bleachers and watch her. And I remember this particular guy because he would always try to get close to me. He would always try to, like, offer me candy or have a small conversation. But back then, your older sister watched over you. So it was times when she would come and she would stop running and come and get me off the bleachers and make me come sit with her because, you know, we weren't allowed to talk to um, strangers. So I did remember him, and when I say that there was a course of time in which he was watching me and eventually to find out who my mom was, it just so happened at that exact same school where my sister practiced that, my mom went to night school there. So at night, yeah, she had to be to school like maybe about 6 o'clock, so at like 5.30 we walked my mom to school. And then we would come back home and we would lock lock up the doors. And then when my mom got back from school, then we were allowed to go back outside. So that's why, that's why I'm telling you, he watched me all this time. And then with us walking my mom to school, he figured out who my mom was. And then he didn't even go to that school. He just was always around the school. And he was a young guy, so my mom assumed that he was one of the students also, but he really wasn't. And then he would do things like, bump into her or try to have small conversation with her or, you know, something like that to establish a rapport. After a while, my mom got used to seeing them and seeing them and them talking and laughing and joking. And then one day he just blatantly just followed my mom home. Wow. And mm-hmm. and, and it was, um, and it was all really- done with intentions. Wow. Since releasing the book, um, is your mother currently still alive, or was she alive at the time, if she isn't now, when you released the book? Mm Mm-hmm. She's alive. And um, has this been a discussion with your mom, like, um, now that, you know, this is something that so many people across the world, across the nation, can pick up and read, um, what are her reactions towards that? Ooh, well, that book caused quite a little problem. And not only with my mom, but me just telling the whole story over a period of 14 years. Um, And I really, I told the truth. I told my truth. And I didn't, like, shy away from how people was going to feel about it or what they was going to think about it. The only, I did ask my mom, I well, I told my mom that I was going to write the book. But at this time, I was, like, 21 years old. 
all this time passed because I didn't write it until I was like um, 46, 47 years old. So at the time when I when I did mention to my mom that I was going to write it, I was like 21. And with so much time being passed, I guess she probably didn't, didn't even think that I was going to write it, but it had always been on my mind. It's just that I was just so busy. So when I eventually sat down to write it, I did. I talked to my sisters. I talked to my siblings because I wanted to know how they felt about me writing the story because being that I wasn't going to write <clears throat> under a pen name and I, and I used my, my real name, I know that it was certain people in that book that you were going to know who they were because you knew who I was, Mm -hmm. which would have been my sister, my mom, and my daughters. So the people that was immediate that people would be able to figure out because they knew me, I did have a conversation with them and asked them how did they feel about me writing the book, and they all supported me writing the book. But (laughs) once I did it, that was a whole nother animal. My mom was really, really upset. She didn't talk to me like she didn't talk to me for like four years. Wow. I mean, in actuality, we just started talking to each other. Like maybe um, uh, May of twenty sixteen. Wow. And how has your life been impacted since releasing the book? Is it like a weight lifted off you that you've been able to, you survived this, to be able to move forward and release that burden and just feel a little bit more free? Um, You know what? I'm going to be honest with you. Um, at, at the time when I wrote the book, I pretty much was done with the story. I think the reason why is because, like I said, I was, like 47, 48 years old, my girls were grown, the product of my life or how my life ended or where I ended up at was I was already there. So because of that, I think that me looking back and them and my life turning out to be I'm what, what I consider to be really great um, because the, one of the things where my daughters were a product of that situation so because of that, with me down the line at 48 years old, writing the book, my girls are good, they're healthy, they're emotionally strong, they're graduating from college, they're doing great in their careers, I didn't take it as bad because now I see the end product of all my hard work and everything that I went through. Now, you know, you know what I'm saying, I got to look at, at it in a positive form. So by the time I wrote the book, I wasn't going through anything as far as emotionally. Now, I'm going to admit something to you. At the time when I decided to write the book at 21 years old, I don't really think that I would have been able to handle the story at 21 and getting out of the situation at that time because he went to jail. So for me to write the story at that time – First of all, it would the book would have turned out a little differently because I was immature and I didn't have any like life experience and I had no filter, no filter and no boundaries and that story would have been I was like, let me tell y'all about this month. <laughs> you know, it would have been a story more so like that, not on the like the intellectual level in which I was able to write it. Because what I ended up doing was, and I'm glad that I took that time and really, really had time to really think about 
how I wanted to portray the story because I didn't want to just tell the typical, oh, I was sexually molested and this happened to me or what was me. I didn't want to tell that kind of story. What I wanted to tell, so what I did was I told it as a lesson. I told it as a lesson as in one of my very first chapters is me basically telling everyone the rules that my mom had set in place to protect us from strangers and people that she brought into the house to showing them where she broke the rules for just this particular guy. Just not, she stuck to her rules with everybody else, but this particular guy, she broke the rules, and because of her breaking that rule, I showed what happened to me. So the first five chapters is like that because I wanted everybody okay. to see exactly what he did and exactly how he did it. And then I, for the rest of the story, the rest of the book, I just went on and just told the story. Now you can see the whole situation as far as how it, you know, um, impacted my family, how it broke family ties, how, you know, um, me and um, the, the bond that it broke between me and my sisters and my mom and just went on about the story so everybody could see also how much, how much something like this damages a family. Mm-hmm. So um, I was telling you that to tell you that that's the reason why um, I don't think that I would have been able to handle telling the story at 21 because, to be totally honest, when I wrote it at 48, I kind of had to look at it and read it again because now I'm kind of thinking, wow, whose story is this? Like, did I really go through this? I didn't really see it until I, 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 I put it in black and white. And that's what I'm saying that I think that at 21 years old, if I would have wrote this story and then read it and then looked at it and realized, wow, I've been through this, I probably would have flipped out. Okay. Well, like I said, I definitely commend you at, at any age to be able to go back and share that. Um because it's definitely something that needs to be told. It's definitely something that is, affects our community. Um, and I hope by God, Jesus, this man is still locked up too because so many people don't come out of it as strong as you did. You know, some people, it ruins their life. So um, I definitely commend you. I definitely, definitely commend you on sharing that um, that story with the world. It was, a, You know what? It was a very much needed story to be told. And and the and the reason why I say that is because the story is so extreme in so many ways that people who don't think that way would never think that nobody would actually put this kind of energy into covering a child to destroy their innocence. But the point is is that that's who these people are. They're sick. They work it like a yeah, they work it yes, they work it like a job. So were you thinking, like, oh, I'm not doing all that, it, it's worth it to them. And that is the reason why I wrote my second book, Deviant, Secrets of a Predator, is because I thought that it was, through a child's eyes was told through the victim's, oh, you know, um, perception. Per, um, I'm sorry, perception. Deviant, Secrets of a Predator was told through the predator's perception. I thought that it was very, very important for people to understand mentally who a predator is. As an example, I'll give you right quick is as you can tell through my story, I'm telling you I'm telling you the story as a victim. And I'm telling you how it destroyed me 
and how it destroyed my family and the emotional scars that it put on me. Well, when you hear through a, um, through the predator's opinion, he, oh, she liked it. She wanted it. She did this. She had on them little short shorts. She asked me, she rubbed her arm past me. You understand what I mean? Uh-huh. So it was important for people to understand that a predator is not looking at it like, oh, I am doing something damaging to the child. He is looking at it like she wanted it. She asked for it. She's just as guilty as me. So I told yeah. the story in two different ways. Mm-hmm. That's 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 really good because it, it gives you two different views, two point of you know, two point of views. Yes, it was very important to tell it from that that angle because people had to realize that they're not looking at when when they look at a child, like they don't look at a child like we look at a child, and say, "Oh, she's so cute. Look at the little baby." They looking at them like, "Oh." A predator is looking at a child like a grown man looks at a grown woman. Yes. Now, what they're looking at, we have no idea because they flat-chested. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, but that's part of the attraction of a predator is a child's innocence and their undeveloped bodies. So he's yes. looking at that, that, that four-year-old like he would look at a 24-year-old woman. And he, and just like a grown man would see a woman that he was attracted to and trying to think of what kind of line can I throw on her? How can I get a hold of her? When can I catch her by herself so I can put my little, you know, run my game on her? He's doing the same thing. He's looking at how can I get that child by herself? How could I have a couple of minutes to manipulate her? How could I have a couple of minutes to make her like me and ask mommy, can she go to the store with me? He's doing the same thing. It's the same thing. Wow, crazy to when you you know when breaking down the logic of it. How has mm-hmm. what happened to you um, changed your views as a mother? Like could be and as a grandmother because after being violated, you kind of have a guard now. Um, with me, it this is the thing. Everybody wants you to point them out. Everybody wants you to make it easier for them to, because they want you to be able to tell them what they look like, what they sound like. You know, they want you to be able to, they think it's a way that you could tell who these people are. No, you can't because it's so many, they go through a whole lot to pretend not to be who they are. They hide that person. You would never, ever even suspect that particular person because they're very charismatic, um, people love him. And in my situation, this guy was a very handsome guy, 19 years old, very, very cute, real neat, wasn't a typical little young guy out there that dresses a certain way as far as a young person. He wore, like, slacks and dress shoes and a nice crisp shirt all the time. He always had a Bible in his hand. And he was like 19 years old, and you know that's uncommon for a 19-year-old boy. You know, you're used to them being into whatever is out at the time with the gym shoes and all that kind of stuff. And he wasn't like that. And he talked to the older people, sat on the porches with the older people in the summer and read the Bible to them, and everybody just loved him, and he was the greatest guy. 
So because of that, it was very easy for him to infiltrate families because everybody thought so much of him. And then when it got to the point where somebody, a kid did accuse him, oh, no, because he's in church and he knows the Bible back and forth and he would never do that. That child was lying on him. He played this game very, 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 very well. So so my biggest thing with me was I wasn't trying to figure out when my girls were growing up, I wasn't trying to figure out who nobody was. What I did was it was just as to what, what I was going to do. And that is another thing that I was saying as far as the way I wrote my book. I actually wrote the rules and guidelines in the first chapters, first five chapters of the things that you should pay attention to. One of the biggest things that he did when he first came into my life, and when my mother brought him home and she introduced him and said, this is this and this is her and this is her and this is her, the first thing he did was walk up to me and call me his little girlfriend. He said, how would you like to be my little girlfriend? And that is one of my biggest. And when he asked me how would I like to be his little girlfriend, he took it literally. So when I'm seven years old, when he came over, I was expected to act like his woman, or stopping what I was doing, jump roping or whatever, and come and pay him some attention like a grown woman would if her boyfriend came over. I was expected to do that. And my mom, he did it right under my mother's nose, and she's not thinking nothing about it. Oh, that's so cute, because I'm only like seven years old. And so when he's calling me his little girlfriend, she's not thinking nothing about it. So that was one of the things that I wanted my rules, that you should not let anybody um, label your, your child um, inappropriately. You should not um, allow anybody to have too much um, power over your kids. You should never allow anyone to discipline your child. Because in my situation, my mom let him discipline me when I got a certain age because I had a problem with what he was doing with, to me. He made it seem like to my mom I was just being hard-headed or I was, had I had a whole lot of mouth or I was being smart. And my mom looked at it like, oh, you're just being disrespectful to an adult. When I'm not home, you can spank her butt. So now I'm not getting spankings because I got a big mouth or I did something wrong. I'm getting spankings because I don't want him to touch me. I don't want him to kiss me. I and the only thing he's saying to me is, your mama said do what I said. And that is what my mother said. My mother told me to do what he said. But my mother did not know that he was going to be telling me to do stuff like that. So he used her words against her and the fact that he could whip me. And you got to think about it. Back in the day, because we talking about the 70s because I'm 52, if your mom left you with somebody and they had to spank you, when she they got home, you. you got another spanking. Yeah. So as a child, this is what I'm dealing with, him lying on me or not really being honest with my mom about what he's asking me to do, and I'm popping off at the mouth, and I'm getting smart, and I'm fighting him and all this kind of stuff, and then I'm getting in trouble again when my mom gets home, and she don't even know what I'm getting in trouble for. Besides the fact that he said, well, she was being disrespectful. She didn't do what I told her to do. No, I didn't do what she wanted me to do. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So these are the kind right. of things that I brought up in my book of things that you should not allow and how we make our own kids targets. Because sometimes we have that little child, or we have four or five kids, and we got the little favorite, or we got the one that, you know, you kind of like, push to the back a little bit, you don't really pay a lot of attention to, oh, he's not as pretty as the other kids or whatever. And that's one of the kids that um, a pedophile would, he he would signal that child out because he already know that one, you ain't going to believe nothing he's saying anyway because you don't even like him. You don't even pay him any attention. Not to mention that that child's going to 
soon as you pay him some attention because he's so used to being ignored, that he's going to immediately start liking you anyway. And then you can do anything that you want to do with him because he's so happy somebody likes him. So it's like all kinds of things that I bring up in my book are how we as parents become a part of the manipulation and don't even know it. Right. So a lot of a lot of what I did was when I wrote in my book or when I was raising my girls, it wasn't about me trying to figure out who was who. No, what it was was I was going to do things a certain way because I don't know you like that. So you're not going to talk to my girls a certain way. You're not going to have any um, spend any time with my, my girls by yourself. Um, there should not be a relationship between an adult and your child, and you're not a big part of what's being said and what's being done. It shouldn't be no secret relationship or they just have their time. No, no, we're not doing that. We in this together. So you don't have no private time to um, to manipulate in my child or put things in their mind or make them feel like they're wrong for not liking them or that they're going to get in trouble if you tell your mom this because you did it too. They not go, they didn't get that kind of time with my my kids and that's one of the things that I brought into my book is because you should monitor a relationship between your child and your adult at all times. Right. And, and you know what? And another thing is too, just to tell you this, I made a big deal. You know, I, I'm, I'm I kind of pointed out to Dad a lot too because one of the things, a part of the manipulation that he used was he purposely picked single mothers that did not have male role models in their life that were around on the regular. Because one thing it is, a man knows a man, and they're not gonna, you're not gonna come to the mom's house whether you guys are together or not and you find out your daughter is gone with a 25-year-old man, you're going to be like, no, no, no. You know, that dad is going to be like, no, my daughter doesn't go anywhere with him. And he purposely purposely picked out single mothers who did not have male role, like uncles, brothers, anything, because he did not want anybody to be able to point him out and say, say, and, and not only that, now he got to use that because now he's the male role model in these families. So when she had, if you find a mom and she got little boys, he's playing daddy. He's playing uncle. So that was another reason why he made sure. And I made a very big point to even point on bringing this to the attention in my book as far as men not being in their kids' life because they don't even realize just their presence alone is protection. If he saw a man in a little child's life, whether they were married or not, but the dad was a big part of that child's life, he walked away from them. Yeah, because then, like you said, they 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 prey on the single mothers. They don't prey where there's a male yep. figure there because they can't manipulate right. those situations. Right, and not only that, it's like if he met a family and let's say the brother lived with them. Nope, <laughs> he's gone. It because because that that brother that uncle is gonna be like, why is my niece going with him? Yeah. So he purposely definitely has to. Yeah. Definitely yeah, have so to. He, he purposely made sure that um, that there was no male robot models. So I wanted to bring that up too in my book because these dads need to realize y'all need to step up. Yeah. Especially when they feel like, 
the mother. And sometimes, you know, men be getting they set in their ways or she didn't move on so you don't want to take care of the kid. But no, that you should still take care of your responsibilities even more. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's important for that, that man, that person, that friend, that pedophile or whatever he is at the time, he needs to see the relationship between you and your child or the dad and that child because he needs to realize that you guys are close. Your child will tell you anything. Anything that your child will tell you is going to be thoroughly investigated. He needs to see that relationship. And that's another thing. He'll be like, oh, you know what, that child talks too much and that mama pays too much attention, I can't deal with her. Right, and and eventually he'll just disappear. Yeah, because he won't be able to get a hold of that child for nothing. And he'll just disappear. And there have been situations when that he left certain kids alone because he couldn't get a he couldn't get attacked he couldn't get a hold to him at all. So that mama was on on his head. Like no, it's not going to happen. They definitely pick and choose. So we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, okay. we do have some calls waiting. So we're going to see if anybody wants to bring on the oh. calls. We want to get more into your writing because you do have other books um, that we want to definitely yes, touch before we end this interview. So go ahead and give us a quick, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we have some calls. We'll just try to answer some calls and questions. Do you need hot new graphics? Do you need your book edited, proofread, typeset, or formatted? Then contact me, Allison MDs, CEO of Allison Edits, and that's Allison, A-L-L-Y-S-O-N, Edits, E-D-I-T-S, dot com. We are back live on the air. If you're just now tuning in, I'm your host, Nisha Lenae. We have Phyllis Forrest on the line. We have been talking about her book. I forgot your name. Through a Child's Eyes. <laughs> Through a Child's Eyes, um, which definitely mm-hmm. chronicles the um, the big issue of predators. Um, if you have missed that, definitely we um, just give you a quick rundown. Phyllis has definitely been sharing her life story with um, through a child's eyes. So if you have not read that, please go ahead and share it and get that book. Um, it's definitely a good read for single mothers and single fathers and fathers in general and mothers in general. Mm-hmm. We do have a few people holding on the line. If you would like to speak with author Phyllis, please press 1, which will give me a signal that you want to be brought on the line and we'll get you brought on the line. So, Phyllis, um, how many books do you have published to date? I have the two um, first books, Through a Child's Eyes and Deviant Secrets of a Predator, which I self-published them myself. And then I have two, um, part one and two of Behind Every Boss There's a Bay, which Tell I'm with a little from bit about that. Um, Behind Every Boss There's a Bay is my fun book. Um, I decided that, you know, once I wrote Through a Child's Eyes and, and I wrote the other book, I decided that I've been I was on that subject enough. I didn't want to like beat it in anybody's head. I think I pretty much explained myself pretty well. So I decided I wanted to have a little fun with my writing. And I decided I'm a good chick. <laughs> I'm D Town. So let's I wanted to write a, a little hood story. And I came up with a story about a Girl and a, a guy who basically grew up together or whatever because their mom was best friends, and they eventually became, a, you know, um, got in a relationship once they got older. And, of course, 
um, he became like the big kingpin of the D. I like to use the D. And she became the queenpin. And they go through a lot of different obstacles and things that maybe he, as a man or um, being busy, doesn't see. But her being his ride or die, she likes his wingman. So anything, you know, that needs to be done or anything that he missing, she right there behind him like, okay, um, she giving him like a checklist. And I, I wrote the story that way because I totally believe that behind I just found like more of a ghetto way of saying it because actually I was just saying behind every successful man, <clears throat> I'm sorry, behind every successful man, there's an intelligent woman. So I just said it in a hood way, behind every boss, there's a bank. Okay. So because basically I feel like, and if you think about the really people that we have, like men, like the Obamas, Okay, we all know Michelle was running the United States. Okay, quit playing. <laughs> you know, and he said himself, he said himself that, you know, the smartest decision he ever made was marrying Michelle. Because regardless of what, you know, he, he had to take care of this and take care of that, but she was in the rear handling everything else. And I think that that's just basically the way that it is when you have these successful men out here. You notice they always got a really smart, intelligent woman behind them. Who, who's really keeping it together in the wings. So that's kind of like how I came up with the story. But then, you know, I had to kind of put it like in a hood setting so now they got to, you know, deal some drugs and all that kind of right. stuff. Right. Own a couple of strip clubs. <laughs> they got to own a couple of strip clubs, things like that, yeah. Okay. Um. And so you self-published your first two books, and then you are mm-hmm. published under? Um, Delphine. Publications with um, Tamika Newhouse. Okay. Um, and why did you make the decision to go that route with publishing your latest books than doing it self-published like before? Well, the reason why I self-published um, my first two books is because of what the content of it was, the subject. And I wanted to tell it raw. I wanted people to really get it. I wanted them to feel every emotion. I wanted them to go through different changes reading that book, and I didn't want anything to be changed about my book. I wanted to tell it hard knocks because the subject is hard knocks, okay? So I purposely self-published those books because I didn't want to take a chance on anybody changing it, saying that the society couldn't handle it. So I self-published those myself so I can keep them the way that they were. And then when I got to um, Behind Every Boss There's a Bay, you know, I think one of the one of the acronyms behind a author, um, I think that it kind of tells us our worth if we are able to become published authors. So, yes. you know, it's kind of like you, a star on your chest. So right, it's like somebody I'm else so believes. See, they take that interest in to say that my work right. is worthy enough to be published under their company. Exactly, exactly. And not only that, too. I um, once I decided that I was going to um actually find me a publisher with my next book is, you know, I investigated everybody, I read everything, I stalked, you know, <laughs> and everyone else, all types of other publishing companies. And that was not, it wasn't like a vanity company where anybody could just jump in. She had to choose you. 
So that I think that that makes us have feel like we have uh, we have made our worth as a writer if we're chosen chosen. So that's the reason why I decided because you know I wanted to kind of see like how how I would kind of fare out here with other writers. Okay, and before coming a writer, were you a reader or? basically just became a, it was just something that was in you to become a writer? Oh, no. I have been an avid reader. I have read everything. When I say I've read everything, now I know I can read everything, but I've read so many books. I mean, I actually love to read. Like, it's a favorite pastime. I'd rather watch TV. It's nothing for me. I like to go do things like I don't mind going to the doctor because and I don't care how long they take because I know I can read my book. It's like that. <laughs> I have okay, always so. been an avid reader. I mean, and that was another thing is too is because you know when, like I said, I did research publishing companies when I decided who I was going to solicit. And you know, Tamika got out about a hundred and fifty-five books, and I read every book. Oh, yeah. I read every book because, you know, that was part of the research. I wanted to see how she wrote and how her books were edited. And everybody, every label mate that I have, I've read all their books. If you are an aspiring author on the line, please understand what she just said. That was a tip and advice. When searching for a publishing company, start with reading the books they publish to know if you belong there. That would let you know if they – are giving quality edits, are they doing quality covers, that right there gives you all of the information that you need to know. So right, many people... That, can, they, um, can they write? Because how you know judge me on how I write and I read your book and I'm, I can't even understand it. Praise the Lord. So many people don't <laughs> right. understand that. So many right. people don't understand that. The person's representation, if you come and you read Anisha Lene book, you know that's a representation of what Concrete Rose mm-hmm. Publications is to me mm-hmm. yep. by my own work. And, and a lot know, of people don't understand it. Yeah, you know what, nothing is true. Nowadays, you got people throwing up all kinds of vanity companies and barely don't wrote a book. You know what I'm saying? You got all these people putting so in publisher, uh, publisher, publication behind their name, and you got people like us who are fresh and new authors who we just looking at that, okay, as a pretty logo, and we contact these people, and we find out they don't even know how to write. They ain't even wrote their book. They have no idea. They don't know anything about social media. They don't know anything about promotion, but because we are green, we're quick to just Google something and we think that, oh, because they've got publication behind their name or they say they're a publisher, then we could go with them. Well, that was my way of weaning them out, was me checking their social media, um, reading whatever book that they put out. And then if they do have um, other authors that they have put out, like Tamika, she has her group of authors. I read every last one of their books. Because I wanted to see how her company edits. I wanted to look at the cover. I wanted to see the quality of the work that's being done on my label mate's book. 
So if oh, I, I totally understand so that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if there's so many mistakes, and I'm and I'm sitting there saying to myself, who's edited? Who edited this book? Then right, I, I don't know want to put myself in that predicament. Exactly. <laughs> so I would say research, research, research. Anybody who you're deciding to go with, decide with. Okay. Well, let's get back to books. What are your three top favorite books of all time? These are books you can, no matter what, you can go back and read them. And who are your three top favorite authors? And when I say favorite authors, okay. these are the authors you don't got to read the synopsis. You don't. You just know they're dropping a new book, and you know you're pre-ordering or you're going to get that. <laughs> right. Um, of course, and I know everybody say this, but this is the one that really got a hold to me, I think. And it was the coldest one ever. My sister sold it. <laughs> everybody, I know. Um, but uh, someone that I really liked also was Elin Harris. I read every book he he wrote. I do have certain authors that I agree with you. When I see that they got a book out, I'm going to get it. Um, so I like Elaine Harris, but we know he's not writing anymore. But I go all the way back with the Donald Goings and, and things like that. Also. Oh, yeah, classic. But, um, and, and, yeah, and I'm trying to be fair because, you know, I've been reading for so long, so back in the day. Do you remember that company, Black Expression? Yes. I was definitely a proud, proud member of Black Expression. <laughs> Right, so I'm talking about way back then when you just had all these books, but and so I'm, but I'm gonna try to be fair. I'm gonna try to be fair and think of newer authors that I have actually read. Now, I'm I'm, I'm 52 and my memory is not as great as it used to be. I could plan my own surprise birthday party. I'm gonna tell you that right now. But all I know is, and I can't think of her name right off, but I know I will. She wrote. Secrets of a Side Bitch. Was it Jessica? Watkins. Yes. Oh, my goodness. When I finished reading her book, I wanted to meet her. <laughs> like, I was on, I was Googling her, like, where's she going to be at next? She was in Chicago. I said, okay, no, nah, I can't get all the way to Chicago. But I'm saying, like, when I read Secrets of a Side Bitch, I thought that, that she did a great job with that book. And then there's one other author who I just started reading her book. It's the second book, and I'm waiting for the third book, and I can't stand when people have me waiting like that. But um, <laughs> she wrote One Taste. <laughs> one Taste Ain't Enough. Um, I was really upset with her with that book because I'm like, really? Really, just the way you're going to do me? Because I get really emotional about my books. So um, I'm trying to be fair and, and name some of the newest authors because, you know, we don't really get the acknowledgement because we, we, you know, we still messing around with Nori and and um, Zane. <laughs> and Nori was a good writer. I mean, <laughs> oh, I know, right? Nori was a good. I know. He, he, I, that's why I say, like, I, I know all those people from back in the day that I've read, and wow. Um, and I'm, that's why I say I'm gonna try to be. Because sometimes I think I get a little irritated because I'd be like, nah, they're just not really giving us no chance of how we going to be compared to people like that. And you so know what, for me, I always thing. feel like they paid the way. Those were the writers that inspired me to really, um, really feel like I can do it. Like, oh, my gosh, I'm reading these books. Like, oh, my gosh, I can do this. I can do this. Oh, you know what? I I, I, I totally agree with you. And you know what? The, and this is why I think so. I consider them the real writers. 
I consider them the real authors. And I'm not saying that we're not, but you got to think about it. We got all this social media, and any, any of us know it is very hard to build a following. But just think, these people had nothing. They nothing. had to walk. <laughs> right. They had to walk down the street. They had to have a load of books in their trunk. They had to stop people on the street and say, "Can you? do you want to buy my book? They had to, I guess, actually write and solicit publishing companies. And, like, and don't you kind of wonder, how did you do it? How did you become a number one bestseller back then without social media? Exactly, and that's and that's another thing for me. Like when they just like, oh, you got to be on social media. Sometimes I just cause social media just gets so much. Sometimes, sometimes I want to be like, but back in the day, we didn't know what these authors looked like. It wasn't about maybe I want to give it a good five or six years. I actually found out what Zane looked like. For so long, mm-hmm. I thought Zane was a man. Right now, is Nori? Uh, uh, um. <laughs> is that and I still don't know that answer today because we don't see these people. We've never seen these faces. We were just able to know that when you seen that Triple Crown Productions and publications and you right. seen them names, you knew it was going to be some fire words on them paper. Right, right, right. So, you know what? Um, her name was one taste, um, just ain't enough, is Chase Monet. And I also, it was, this, it, I, I ran it, I don't even know how I ran into her book, but her name was, I think it's pronounced Shamise. And she um, wrote Caught Between Two Thugs. Oh, my goodness. There's so many great books <laughs> out here that it's just hard to even say. It, and, you know, from back in the day, it was like a recycle of, of collective authors now due to the you know the knowledge of technology the more knowledge of being able to go google how to self-publish your book in amazon and create space it's easier to self-publish a book and, and publish a book so now there's so many authors living out their dreams than you know 15 years ago 10 15 years ago like you said, you know we have black think, expressions or Triple Crown right. production and publications. So, and it was those bulk of authors. Now it's so many. I go on Amazon sometimes, and I just scroll. Like, and in 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 some way, you know, because it's definitely harder to be seen now because there is so mm-hmm. many people. But then another part of me is happy that we're so many people living out their dreams. You know, you know, Triple Crown production was in Detroit. Really? I I never knew where she yeah, was. Based. Oh, oh yeah. That's the reason the, I always thought she was based in New York. Yeah. Yeah, um the author's from Detroit and that's where she started and it was all built down there. But you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I think self publishing, um, as easy it is to publish a book now, has changed the dynamic of publishing a book. I think that it has changed the quality. Very much changed the quality. It changed the quality because one thing about it is I was, because I, I'm such an avid reader, by the time I wrote through a child's eyes, I knew how to get that book to flow, how, you know, because I read so much that it was so much that I learned that I didn't even realize that I learned. And, and another thing is, too, I was so, like, adamant. Like, I was almost, like, crazy as far as trying to get every perfect about that book. For one, it's my baby and it's my life. And no matter what happens, I will always promote that book because it's, gonna, it's like my legacy. 
But exactly. two, I know how important it is for a person not to keep the typos can just get ridiculous. And I feel like me, um, my first book probably probably still has typos, and I've you know constantly mm-hmm. did it. Um, but with me, my goal is always to make my next book better than the last. Mm-hmm. I try new things to always you know feel to make it better because I want someone to read my current book that just you know my current book release versus my first mm-hmm. book and say you know what I see the growth in Nisha's writing. And and right. those are the type of things that that make me proud, which is why I never well, try you know to what, as I, I learn then, more things. Yeah, you asked me the question earlier as far as me going from self publishing to publishing. You know, another thing is too is that I, you know I never really felt like I, I did very well and got received a lot of love from through a child's eyes. I never got to the point where I was able to actually put it in anybody's hand that could really do something with it. So I'm always going to be promoting, promoting, promoting that book. But I, uh, that was another reason why I stepped on another side of more of in writing more entertainment because I figured that if I wrote some good books, some number one bestsellers, or people really start enjoying the way that I write, when they find out that I had two self-published books before behind every boss there's a bank, they're going to go back and get it because I've done it. Yeah. Without a child, I read a book a by someone and found out, yeah, I had found out that they had other books before the book that I read, and I went back and got it. So I'm just kind of hoping, too, that that kind of puts me on the map and bring, still bring some notoriety to through a child's eyes. I'm a, you know, I want it to all work in a circle. I want to just keep coming back to me. <laughs> Right, of course, and as long as you believe it and you work hard for that, I definitely believe everything comes back tenfold. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. So So, what are your plans for this year? Um, Behind Every Fall Fears of Bay is a four-part series, and so far part only one and two is out. So I have parts to put out for that book. And then because I just feel like I just got all these books in my head, I got so many stories in my head, I'm going to always continue just to write. Because in actuality, I signed with um, Delphine last December of um, 2015. And by the time I really did have a conversation with Tamika and she took me on and we signed the contract or whatever, the first three parts of my book was already re- um, written because when I write, I just keep going. So, so, but in the end, it's four parts. But I had, um, and I'm just writing. On, I'm just kind of tapping away at the fourth book now because all three books were already written when about the time I signed up with her. Because I, that's the way I write. I just keep going and just keep. I just keep writing. So that's what I'm gonna do. I got two more books on on this series to release. And I have other stories in my head that keep popping up that I want to actually just sit down and keep. And I'm just going to keep writing. Okay. Will we be able? Will you be attending any events given um, this year? Yes, I am actually going to attend the Women's Expose in Chicago, um, April. I think it's eighth and ninth. 
um, I'm not, I know it's right around in there, that, that first weekend in April. And I'm also going to, um, of course, attend Tamika's award show, the um, AAMBC award show. I'm definitely going to attend that because, you know, a support of her. Um, and then I'm just looking at other little things that I can get into outside of that. Because I, and, and of course, when I, um, when I release books, I always go back to the D. I always got to go back home. So this particular time, I'm waiting for after this third book comes out, the third part of Behind Every Boss comes out, and I think that um, I'm going to go home and, and actually do a book signing. Okay, that would definitely be, you know, take it back to your roots. Before we end this call, tell us three things that we did not talk about on this call about you that a reader may want to know. Um, wow. Okay, this is, this is something I would like to say. Like I say, I always go back to the old. Um, as far as the situation with the um, sexual molestation, two things that I always say at the end of, because I end up doing speaking engagements, and every time before I get off of the podium, I always like to say, um, I know that a lot of us been through that, and a lot of us is going through still the damage and the hurt, and it's still affecting our lives now. But the thing about it is, is that we are adults longer than we are children. So you can't let a, the situation that happened to you as a child affect who you become as an adult. I always like to tell everyone that. Number two is I know that a lot of times when most people, they always ask me, who would you, what would you say? Do you have anything you would like to say to him? What would you say? What would you ask him? Actually, nothing. I have nothing to say to him. Basically, it's because some things, it's just no explanation for it. Like, it's no reason. There's nothing that you could say that would validate what you did. But I would like to always like to say, it's the one thing about it is it's a simple solution to getting over what you have to have to get over. It doesn't seem simple, but it is, and that is because that question of why did you do it to me? What was wrong with me? What was it about me that you did that to me? Was I a bad person? It's none of those reasons. The reason is is because as is as simple as he was who he was and you were left unprotected. That's the only reason. No other reason. Like I say, that's simple, but it's not. So those are like the two things that I would like to leave everybody with <laughs> and to let them know that any mother who's out here that is raising a child and, and and it's just, you know what, it's just knowledge. It's not saying that this is going on in your household. Maybe it's someone that you know that you feel like is a little lax with their child. Every time you turn around, they got a new man living with them. Just, and you can't get through to them and tell them anything. A lot of times you can get through to people when you tell them, when they see it in black and white. Get them the book, Through a Child's Eyes. You can get it on Amazon in paperback or in e-reader. I told you I always promote that book. <laughs> well, we definitely want to thank you on behalf of Unfiltered Talk Radio on the Urban Literary Network. We definitely want to thank you for holding down the floor for an hour with us, talking about your life and sharing those 
secrets with us, giving us those advice. Um, we definitely want to appreciate that. And, again, I definitely commend you on sharing your story. You are definitely one of the women we will be promoting this month uh, for Women's History Month because you definitely are a woman leaving your legacy and your mark in the literary world, and we wish you the best. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. Now, would I ever get to meet you? Like, are you going to be at any of these um, events? I will. I am trying to make it for the um, a the award show. Um, mm-hmm. I will be because I'm going to be in Atlanta that in July for the um, five five six book chicks um, kickback. So okay. I'm trying to also come in for um, go into Atlanta for um, in June, and then um, in oh, okay. September I'll be in Chicago at Jessica Jessica Watkins, which I wanted to tell you on air. Um, she's she's oh. having her second annual Chicago Book Expo. Um, I heard okay. nothing but great things about that, so I'm going to be attending that in September, and then. Um, just as a little birdie, I'm working with another fellow um, author here in Los Angeles to bring an um, event late October, early November here to L.A. There's tons of authors right here in California, um, and we never really have events supporting urban literature here. I know, so right. That's definitely that's, something that's, we want to – Yeah. That is something that's a really big deal because I'm saying every time when I want to do anything as far as in literary, I have to go way back towards Atlanta, New York, Chicago, yeah. Italy. That's nothing. I so just, we definitely yeah, want to bring yeah. something. Um, I'm definitely want to travel oh, towards those places, but I definitely got to bring something back to my hometown because right. Los Angeles is my hometown. Um, and you no matter where I live or where I go, home. Los Angeles will always be my hometown. So I definitely want to bring right. an event here um, and something for us, you know, here in California where we don't have to travel so far to reach readers because right. the leadership here in, in, in Los Angeles is crazy. There's been times I took it back old school because I come from the old school reader, so I took it back old school, and I'll go sell in front of the nail shop in front of the, the Louisiana Fried Chicken, I will just pull up my car, pop up my little book stand, and sell books there. Right. Because I feel sometimes you got to take it off social media and take it back to the to guerrilla marketing. Right. And whatever you come up with, you make sure you tag me because you know I'm right here in San Diego. And that's another thing I thought about, too, when I asked you, was I going to meet you? Um, we both here in California. Well, I'm not about to go clear across the country to meet you, and you right here in LA. <laughs> right, that's a that's why I, I always ask for the events that people are going to attend, um, just to see if I'm going to be at those events. But I definitely always want right. to promote people coming down to LA um, or you know anywhere within California, so that because we're right here to promote our books, our literary. Like this is you know these are our babies. Right, and because I stay in LA, I got a little granddaughter who she thinks she's Beyonce. So every time you turn around, she on set and all this kind of stuff. We're going to have to do something about that because I'm always in L.A. I'm like, I'm well, let me know when you're down here in L.A. <laughs> I know, right? Let me know. We're going to do something, right? Okay. Yes, let me um, know. I appreciate it. Uh, this was really fun, and I appreciate you having me on your show. I love doing these kind of interviews. <laughs> No problem. I'm glad you took out the time and where I was able to interview. Um, I've, I've discovered so many authors and their stories um, doing this show, which is why I do it, um, and, and I love it because, I mean, it gives a background of the story, you know, the authors and what mm-hmm. they've been through and the life they led that um, convoys, convoys in their stories. 
Right. We can, like I said, right. everybody, we can all, they can give us all one plot, and it can be four different writers. The story, may, the plot may be the same, but the story is going to sound different because we all have different backgrounds. Totally and we all have different. different voices. Yep. I totally agree. I totally agree. Wow, that's all. Yeah, that's awesome because you are so right. It would come out so many different ways. So it was definitely, and, and I never get to meet people that I can talk to that be on my time. Everybody else, I'd be like, let me get you off the phone. It's going to be on 10, 11 o'clock your time. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely appreciate yeah. that. That was something that was I haven't experienced in a long while since doing the show with somebody calling right. in, in the same time zone. I know. I was so really I, excited about that. You said 11. I know. When you said that, I was like, oh, yes. I know, so right? I definitely, you know, I don't have to definitely. Let me see, that's three hours away, that's two hours ahead. I have to do that. Yeah. I'd be like, wait, where did you say it was from? Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> but it definitely was a, a, definitely was a, a pleasure um, talking to you. I'm definitely going to down. So I have um, Behind Every Boss is a Bay. I definitely have part one of that. But I'm definitely going to go right. back and research and download those earlier books and share with my um, immediate readers and my family who reads books like crazy. My auntie would definitely be totally into that book. Um, so I'm definitely going to let her know. Um, and, right. And I right. wish you the well, best. You know, and uh, hopefully now. within a few months we will definitely get to meet up and have conversation in person. We that, That's going to happen. That's happening. Okay, well, let That's me know, and happen. I don't want to hold you much longer. You have a great night. And you too. Thank you so much. You're welcome.